Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Attention homeowners, due to upcoming government regulations, the current energy efficiency ratings for HVAC systems will change. Current inventory cannot be sold after December 31st. As the year 2023 starts, customers can expect to pay an average of 30% more for a new HVAC unit that will meet the new government regulations. So what does this mean for you, the customer? There's no better time to purchase a new HVAC system. AAA Heating and Air must empty their warehouse to make room for the new systems. No deals will be turned down. With their 15-year parts and labor warranty plus guaranteed financing, they have made it possible for anyone to get a new system. Call today and enjoy your new home comfort as quickly as tomorrow. But you can only get this special deal by calling 803-677-1500. AAA Heating and Air wants to give you their best deal possible on a new HVAC unit, but you have to call today, 803-677-1500. And tell them you heard about this deal on 107.5 The Game's Gamecock Central Podcast. AAA Air when you need us, AAA Heating and Air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Fireman with Pearson Fowler. This has been in the works for a while. We're really excited to officially have the Gamecock Central Hour. Chris Clark. And J.J. has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl already, which is awesome, uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Wes Mitchell. Um, I think he's well above 200 in the, like, the 210 range. Uh, um, a dude in the weight room, too, like from a strength standpoint. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. Game. A minute after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Welcome in to the Gamecock Central Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Uh, Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark here with you, not the other two slackers. We need an alternate intro for when they decide to play hooky. And on a rainy day, too, what are they doing? They're not going to a baseball game or a parade. They must be working, grinding. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, need need an alternate intro. I mean, at least you're here. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> I'd be back there trying to run the board, just hitting buttons and stuff. Just does crack this, the mic. Does this do it? I hey, don't know. this is Chris. I'm here today. It will, we need to have different intros with every permutation of, like, just you and me, yep. just Wes and me, just Preston and me, just you and Wes, you, Wes and Preston, Wes we'll, and Preston I mean, and we'll, me. we'll try to give you at least one of us every day. I mean, that's the goal. That's good. I mean, it is... Like, if it was Gamecock Central takeover hour and there's no Gamecock Central, then that's not... That'd be lame. not going to work. I'd have to put, like, my hour one open back in hour number three. Uh, by the way, so you've talked about how much you like Wes's just a dude in the weight room comment in the open there. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part about that is the way that Wes says strength. Strength? Strength. Like, because Will Muschamp used to always talk about length. They did. Length and strength. Strength. There's another West word. I'll, I'll have to come up with it. I might. It might take me like till after the the next break to think of it. But he he has a few West words. I'm sure I do too. Probably so. But I mean, we're talking about him with West not here, so we'll wait until you're out. To yeah. Talk about the Chris words. Exactly. That's how it works. Oh boy, there's when a you lot. skip the show, we talk about you behind yeah, the rack. That's right. Uh, a lot to get to here in the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. We are starting our position group breakdown. There are eight days, eight work days between now and game week for South Carolina. 
So we're going through offensive line, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, defensive line, linebacker, defensive back, probably in that order. But we're starting with the most important thing, in my opinion, and that is the offensive line. So as we set things up, Chris, let's start because I did big picture earlier. We'll go a little more specific right now. Wes published on Gamecock Central his projection for what he thought the starting offensive line would be going into camp. And I gave him a hard time because he said it would be Tyshawn Wanamaker, a right tackle, because Dylan Wanham had been out. I said, well, that's crazy. He's not going to be the starter. I need now that we're halfway through camp, your projected starting five from left to right for South Carolina on September 3rd. Yeah, so I'm going to say, and a lot of these, when we did our lock categories, I think we had, what, three or four? I think definitely, almost definitely three. The three interior guys? Yeah, Yeah. I think those are your three. Um, Left, I'll go left to right. So left tackle, Jalen Nichols. Left guard, Rashawn Lee. Center, Eric Douglas. Right guard, Javon Gwynn, who is a mortal lock, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the lock of all locks of anybody on the team. Like, he's like lock over Spencer Rattler. Like, he should get an NIL deal with a locksmith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, right tackle's been one of the biggest questions, right? Not only on the O-line, but on the team in general. I'm actually, I'm going to go with Dylan Wanham. I think, um, you just looked, he's played, he has had some injuries, you know, at mm-hmm. South Carolina. So, it's not like he started, you know, a million games, but... Um, for his age, he actually doesn't have as much experience as you would think, but he does have an experience advantage over Tyshawn Wanamaker. I was looking back actually over some materials and some of the things we've had written in the past, some stuff from last offseason, the spring, preseason camp, just with you know what some of the coaches and players have said about the offensive line. And one of the things that was mentioned by Greg Adkins after last year was, hey, Tyshawn played more than we thought he would last year. And, of course, main reason for that is Dylan Wanham was out. Mm-hmm. Um but Tyshawn has upside. He showed some good things last season. Um, he's got a, a unique personality, lo- loves the game. You, you really like to see how he plays. Um, and during preseason camp, you know, he was out there with the ones a lot. So it, it has been a battle. I just feel like by the time, if you're projecting things, by the time the third rolls around, I do think that Wanham may end up, you know, grabbing that job because of the experience factor. So Nichols, Lee, Lee, Douglas, Douglas, Gwen, and you're going with Dylan Wanham, who, I mean, he started his first conference game, like, what, four or five years ago? Like, even if he, he doesn't was, have all the starts, like, he's been around for forever. Yeah, he started I mean, halfway through his freshman year. Yeah, he. so he's a fifth-year guy, and he, you know, was in the 2018 recruiting yeah. class, so he played in nine games, like you said, middle middle of that year, he became a starter. Uh, he started seven games as a sophomore, but got injured. You know, he started all 10 as a junior in 2020. And last year he was a starter too mm-hmm. until he got hurt. So he's had, yeah. you know, he's had, like I said, the injury history, but from a starting standpoint, he has experience. So how, from what you've been able to glean watching practice, talking to people around the program, how earnest has that right tackle battle been? Has it Has it just been a matter of, Wanham will win it back eventually, but Ty, you know, deserves refs because he's been around and healthy and playing well, or could that be a real competition up to September 2nd? Well, I, I think it has been a real competition. I, I think you look at the fact that Ty Sean did have to step in out of necessity last season, but did some good things. Um, Wanham is fully healthy. 
Um, you know, he played in his, I think he started his six games last year and then had the back injury that cut that short. And it's not as if that's holding him back. But this does happen sometimes. You know, if a guy plays well, you get a guy who was the starter back. Now you got a little bit of a battle, you know, on your hands, which is, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, that probably means you're in a position to where if one of those guys were to go down again or have to come out for some reason that you'd feel okay, you know, about putting the other one in. So uh, I do think it is a battle. I mean, there are not – I know Shane Beamer said all 22 offensive defense are up for grabs, and he was kind of laughing at himself basically. And he mentioned Javon Gwynn. He's like, look, Javon Gwynn's not – he's going to be a starter at offensive guard. Um, but they do want to keep the competition going. But at the positions where there there are some battles, I mean, that is one of the main ones to watch. You know, I don't know in the past day or two, last couple practices, exactly how the reps have been split between, you know, who's – are they rotating in with the ones? Do they now have a one and a two? But I do think we'll see that, you know, as they exit camp and get more into game week prep for Georgia State. So the backup left tackle right now uh, in Jazz Turnatine's exit via the transfer portal this past offseason is Ja'Kai Moore. How, how much does he even have the ability? Because you didn't mention Jalen Nichols as a mortal lock like the interior guys, uh, but it also doesn't seem like it's as close a competition as the right tackle. Um, so where on that spectrum is Ja'Kai Moore in terms of pushing Jalen Nichols? Yeah, I think it's behind, you know, like there's a bigger gap than there is at right tackle. Um, but, you know, I mean, Ja'Kai's played in 20 games. He's started 11 games. Um, he's played right and left tackle. And so he's settled into that left tackle spot. And I think, you know, he is a guy now who's a redshirt junior, which is kind of hard to believe, but he is, um, and, and does have ability. You know, so I think it, that position is more about Jalen, who's also played guard during his career, just kind of taking that spot and just grabbing it. You know, I, I think Ja'Kai's still in there, and he's still someone that can develop into the future, but Jalen's grabbed that spot and seems to have a pretty decent hold on it right now. Who's the best backup interior lineman? Because typically the way, the, the way that I feel like it works, like you'll have a backup left guard and a backup center and a backup right guard, but if Rashawn, Eric, or Javon gets hurt, it, it's not really necessarily going to be that guy's backup. It's just the next best interior lineman. In your opinion, that's who? Yeah, that that can happen. You know, it's kind of about, kind of like in the secondary, like you find your best five. Right. So here's my question to you, and I don't know the answer. <laughs> you know, I really don't. Does South Carolina say, okay, um, like let's say, uh, let's say Rashawn Lee has to come out for a few plays. You say, all right, Jalen, you're sliding over. Mm. You know, Ja'Kai's at left tackle, now Jalen's at left guard. Or do you just say, you know, you know, obviously like a right tackle is easy, but, you know, you're talking about interior guys. I mean, your, your interior guys are kind of Trey Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Hank Manos, Colin Heinrich, who was a walk-on, but was, I think he started for one of the uh, spring game teams um, and, and could play a good bit there. You know, you got Wyatt Campbell out there. And then you've got guys in Nichols and Lee who can play other spots. Mm-hmm. You know, now if it's Eric Douglas at center. Yeah, sliding Javon over. You might you, you might slide Javon over because there was a good bit of talk before this season. I think even pre-spring. can't remember if it's pre-spring or, or just sometime in the summer that Javon may move to center. Mm-hmm. And, and that didn't end up happening. 
because I think that was about finding the best five. So I talked in circles and didn't give a great answer. I think the, the solution for the best may be to slide over one of your starters. So if it's a center, Javon, if it's a guard, maybe you're sliding in one of your tackles that has guard experience. Or it may be just finding someone from the, you know, quote-unquote second string. Don't know if we know that for sure right now. But you've basically given us, you gave us like 10 or 11 names, which is essentially the two deep. Yeah, I mean, really? I I think I gave, you know, you've got your starting five, and then you have really, I think, five after that. You know, or five, yeah, 10, 10 to 11 is, is about what you have kind of on the depth chart. I don't. You know, at this point, I don't think you expect a freshman to, like, hit the two deep unless really, you know, we saw that with some guys in the past. Dylan Wanham. Dylan Wanham being one. Um, I, I don't think we see that. You know, you've got Ryan Brubaker, I think, is working at guard, and Henry at, Kaysen Henry at tackle, and Grayson Maines at center, I believe, is how they've been working it. And... You know, maybe there's a chance one of them sneaks on the depth chart, but I tend to think not. Okay. I tend to think we don't really see those guys in significant game action, you know, this year. I mean, maybe we look back and one of them's played in three games late, something right. like that. Well, this is interesting. I feel like we're having a different conversation about the offensive line right now than we were this time last year for a couple of different reasons. This time last year, the offensive line was coming off a year in which they blocked very well for Kevin Harris to rush for over a thousand yards and, and this year they're coming off a, re- a relatively disappointing season but even just in terms of the approach on the two deep so i want to circle back to that 803-404-6100 want to hear from you guys too any thoughts that you have on the offensive line questions either about the depth chart the position battles uh questions concerns or maybe you're someone that's excited about the offensive line potentially taking a step forward this year wherever you want to take the conversation we'd love to hear from you guys in the love chevy phone line or in the text line and you can get both of us on twitter at pearson fowler and at gc chris clark a little more on the offensive line next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 11-19, Wednesday morning. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Hour. Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark here with you. Typing away furiously. Didn't even have time to air guitar during that uh, intro, a little bit disappointing to see. Um, I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. It's a rainy day. We're holding down the fort here, though. No West, no Preston. They'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's a busy day. Tomorrow, I guess, we'll do quarterbacks. We'll have the latest episode of Welcome Home to dissect. We'll have, I don't know, a bunch of other stuff. Well, today we're talking about the offensive line. Um, I mentioned to you the discussion around that unit is different right now than it was this time last year. And it felt like this time last year, even though the group was coming off of a successful season, there was less certainty about who the guys were. Now, you mentioned Tyshawn Wanamaker might really be able to push Dylan Wanam. But other than that, it feels like the line's pretty settled. And there were times last year, look, I mean, you always want depth. You like to have someone that's just as good as the guy ahead of him because when someone goes down, you would love to not have the drop-off that often happens, especially at that position. But the result last year is, I don't know how many different permutations of the offensive line there were, Chris, but it felt like it was a new offensive line every single game. I think that contributed to a lot of the communication issues. Like, I don't know how many different guys played or started or played in different positions. It felt like there was less continuity. And I guess one of the hopes maybe 
if you're a South Carolina fan looking ahead to this season, is that barring injury, you should have the same starting five for the entire season, which was not the case last year, even when healthy. Yeah, you know, I would have to go back and look, you know, to to see how many, like you said, different combinations there were. Obviously, there were some. Uh, there was, I recall, you know, a little bit of in-game rotation at times. And then there were, of course, some injuries. You know, the injury to Dylan Wanham or you know, somebody else going down. You remember, you know, Ja'Kai Moore played some. D- Jalen Nichols played some. You had Wanamaker getting in there for his first. I mean, Tyshawn Wanamaker played in one game as a true freshman 2020 and redshirted. Last year he played in all 13 hmm. and, and started seven. And so there were different combinations there. You know, I think if things are going well, on the offensive line, you do see some teams that will still rotate. Um, but I, I think in general, right, you, you want to have, you either want to have a very solid starting five that you feel really good about, or you want your other guys to be kind of, he's earned the playing time. There's there's no drop-off here, mm-hmm. really. You know, um, there, there are, the offensive line's fascinating because, it has really dominated the offseason talk among the fan base for, you know, which is, I think, why we're starting with it. <laughs> um, almost as, you know, not as much as Spencer Rattler, but it, it was almost even like a little footnote yeah. on the Rattler acquisition is a lot of fans said, well, yeah, Rattler, but can the O-line protect him? I mean, it's a very, you know, so I, I think finding that consistency, and when I say consistency, that doesn't just mean how many combos are you using? Do you have a set starting five? But just consistency in in all these different areas, you know, it's just a, such a complex question because the offensive line isn't just as simple as something like, hey, when a receiver's throwing the ball, does he catch it? <laughs> that's, that's a simple cut and dry thing. If it's thrown at you and it's in your catch radius, you should catch it. The offensive line, you have everything from one-on-one matchups to double teams. You've got different schemes. You've got runner pass. What is the quarterback doing or, you know, what is the defense doing? It's the whole 22 picture when it comes to offensive line play. And I think a lot of times when you look at are they running the ball successfully or are they giving up sacks, it's easy to say it's just the O-line. A lot of times they have a – or all the time they have a huge say in that. But you have to look at the entire picture, you know, to really assess what's going on. And the offensive line was just one of South Carolina's problems last year. And I think their issues were exacerbated by some of the other problems, mm-hmm. you know, that happened. I didn't mean to go on that rant. I don't even know what your question was. But. That's good. That's why I brought you in here because you're just spewing knowledge, which is what we need. Uh, you were just looking uh, to, to find the stat. And again, I don't know where this comes from. And there's probably different ways to interpret it. But, you know, to your point, I, I have continued to bang the drum that the, the biggest improvement that needs to happen this season I, I don't think Spencer Rattler is the biggest X factor. I don't think it's Juice Wells or Corey Rucker or Devonnie Reed or Jordan Birch or Jordan Strawn. The thing that I care the most about and will have the most impact on wins and losses for Carolina is the offensive line. Adding Spencer Rattler, though, in the numbers that you have found, may do more to help South Carolina's offensive line than maybe we've previously given that credit for. Well, and this goes back to the point I was making <clears throat> of, This happened in 2020. It happened in 2021. In 2020, South Carolina gave up 27 sacks in an abbreviated season, 10 games, right? Um, There was a huge storyline all year. Remember? We're giving up way too many sacks, and they did. 2021, 
they had 31 sacks in a 13-game season. Still too many. Still a dominant storyline of that season in the offseason. Um, one thing that we saw in both years, and there are different quarterbacks, different schemes, different head coaches, uh, but the offensive line was responsible for some of those sacks. But what, you know, and this comes from South Carolina's staff, I think Marcus Satterfield in the offseason, they obviously went through, self-scouted, looked at some things. Out of their 31 sacks, 14 were on the offensive line. Wow. Now, th- this it's is almost not half. That's yeah, I mean, lot. it's not unique to South Carolina. If you go through, if if uh, Team X gives up twenty sacks in a season, odds are about probably maybe ten are on the offensive line, right? right? Because backs are in pass protection, tight ends are. You've got all those complexities I alluded to earlier about t- you know route running and the quarterback. But that was something big they mentioned. They said fourteen were on the offensive line. The rest were on backs mm-hmm. in pass protection. And then on the quarterback. And and what did we say in a lot of games last year? You go, geez, the quarterbacks are holding the ball too long. And so Zeb Nolan, who did some really good things for South Carolina, is not the most mobile of quarterbacks. So sometimes he, you know, isn't able to step up as much in the pocket. If he's scrambling, you're kind of in no man's land at mm-hmm. that point. You're playing Georgia with, <laughs> you know, the guys they have. That becomes, 13 guys that were about to get drafted. Yeah, they, that becomes a tough proposition um you also go through four different quarterbacks you've got a hurt luke Doty, you know who's recovering from an injury uh jason brown in the missouri game obviously struggled with some of the pressures they threw he went to the spin out too much got himself in trouble gets sacked you also can look back at the tape and you can say that running back misters block you can go back and look at the tape and say that offensive tackle got absolutely whooped one-on-one. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's all of it, right? What so- I will say, though, just to stop you there, and this is the reason that I find myself ultimately encouraged about the progress that that group should make this year, I saw a lot less of that, of just guys getting whooped, of Carolina not getting a push, or of guys just getting blown by. The The biggest mistakes, and maybe it's just because they were the most obvious, but to me, so many of the of the egregious plays, sacks, tackle for losses for South Carolina were not a byproduct of South Carolina's offensive linemen getting beaten physically, either overpowered or, you know, run past. A lot of it ended up being mental mistakes. And I, I just have to believe that, like, if Spencer, a little more, I mean, a lot more mobility than any quarterback that Carolina's had the last two seasons certainly is going to help. Uh, we heard from Juju. He says he likes pass blocking. Eric Douglas confirmed that. Um, you know, that should help. But more than anything else, as long as those guys know what they are supposed to be doing on a given play, that should, I mean, that should take them from like a, a poor group to at least an average group, right? Yeah, I mean, that that is one of the reasons for, there, I think there are a few different reasons for encouragement. And by the way, for some context, I was just curious about this and I'll get back on topic. Spencer Rattler during his big 2020 season at Oklahoma, he threw for 3,000 yards, 28 touchdowns to seven picks, had a 172.6 rating. He was sacked 22 times. So he's not immune yeah. you know, to well, being and, sacked. And he does hang on to the ball too long at times. We heard Shane Beamer say that he, he mentioned on that. Saturday. You know, I watched it for two years at Oklahoma. Like, that's kind of the bugaboo in his game. But Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things, it seemed like they were working on that a lot in spring because, you know, Spencer – you could see when you watched in the spring game and during spring practices that we were able to view, you know, it seemed like that was an emphasis and he's got a quick release and 
did a good job stepping up, but that's something that they're still you know going to have to work on. But again, you know, I think you look at Rattler being able to navigate the pocket, step up, step out. Um, you, just year two in the scheme, you know, you would think gives you some stability, especially now the coaching staff not absolving them. They've got to help out as well by giving, you know, what are you calling? You know, how much are you carrying into the game? What's working? I mean, it all works hand in hand. The receivers, you know, they have this year, a, I think, a deeper receiving room with more options. The tight ends, they do have some questions at running back, but we know they have some talent there and they have some guys that have done it or are capable of doing it like Marshawn Lloyd. And so I think the biggest thing is they're going to have to be able to run the ball more effectively. Um, but then you, you count all that other stuff. The O-line improving on its own, I think, is a safe bet. How much? I don't really know, but at least at least a marginal improvement. And then all those other things, again, can help. I think you look at, like, one of South Carolina's best offensive lines, you would go back to, like, the Lattimore years and say, yeah, they're, they're good up front. Well, yeah, you had Marcus Lattimore. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to make people – how many one-yard runs did he turn into seven? Yeah. That helps you. I I miss talking to and reading from Will Helms on these kinds of things because he was one of the first people that brought this to my attention. But the difference in average yards before contact, i.e. how well does your offensive line block for you, the difference between the best team in the country and, like, the 80th team in the country is, like, four-tenths of a yard, you know? So it's right. like, yes, offensive play, offensive line play matters a lot, but I don't know. But, it, it feels like more than half a yard, but it's like, yeah, just just go get well, it done. And that was one of the weird stats for 2020 because Kevin Harris had a really good year that year, and he did a lot of that because he was Kevin Harris and did a really good job. But South Carolina, for most of the season, statistically had one of the highest rush yards per contact metrics in the country. They did a really good job in the run game, scheming it up, playing it, all that. Yet you looked at pass protection – 27 sacks in 10 games is not great. Couldn't pass the ball very effectively. So you looked at it again. It was some of, yes, some of the, some offensive linemen are losing one on ones, but you're also holding the ball too long. You don't have a mobile quarterback, Colin Hill, most of the year. And you don't have a very deep, you know, receiving core outside of Shy Smith that year. Who would win in a foot race between Zeb and Colin Hill? And you. I'm not putting myself in there. Um, man. You know, I'm a, I would go, I'll say Colin Hill on that, actually. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's who it was. It was Colin Hill that played on the same ACL torn three times, not Prentice. Yeah, we said Prentice, but... Yeah, yeah. You know what? No one fact-checked me on that. That is on you, the listeners. You've got to get me on those things. Um, yeah, it was, it was Hill. It was Hill. Point yeah. is... Wow. To say nothing of their quarterbacking ability, athletic ability, whatever, because this is an hour when I'm forced to be nice. Um, those guys, just purely foot speed, could be the two slowest quarterbacks to have ever started multiple games for South Carolina. Which doesn't help your offensive line. Adam Prentice did tear his ACL, by the way. He did. At Colorado State. So I guess we just gotcha. kind of, we mixed up our Colorado State yeah. transfer But players. Hill had done it. Three times, I believe. Yeah, that's right. I can't. I can't believe. I, I you said that, and I was like, "Yeah, that's right, hundred percent." All right, go back to your offensive. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just. I, I was. I was thinking Zeb and Colin are probably the two slowest quarterbacks Carolina has ever had start multiple games, which doesn't help your offensive line. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's possible. I mean, look, when you when you have those two, you know, you know, you're 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 more limited, you know, from a mobility standpoint. So that's when getting the ball out and running it and being ultra efficient are become very important, mm-hmm. you know. And again, Zeb did do some good things for South Carolina, but I think you have to look at what that situation and what it was. You know, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, that's not excusing anything, but y- you can't say, okay, yeah, I mean, I-, I understand that, but South Carolina should have been lighting up the scoreboard. I mean, you just, under those circumstances, mm-hmm. all things considered, it's not just Seb, it's, well, the offensive line, it's, it's there were issues, I think, last season schematically yeah. at times, and you look at the receiver room, you know, I mean, there's just, again, it all works together. Yeah. It's it's you know kind of frustrating in some in some respect because it's like I, I you want to isolate where the problems were where the breakdown was but there were just too many things going on to be able to exactly isolate yeah. it. Uh, we'll come back to this though. I, w- I want to continue to unpack your thoughts on where the most improvement can be made for this unit. Eight zero three four zero four sixty one hundred. Want to hear from you guys as well? Love Chevy phone line or text line if you want to be a part of the show that way. Or you can get both of us on Twitter at Pearson Fowler and at GC Chris Clark. More offensive line talk next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 11.39, Wednesday morning. Rainy Wednesday here in downtown Columbia. Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark here with you. Talking about the most riveting and exciting and dramatic parts of of uh, the football season preview, which is the offensive line. I say that in all seriousness because that's uh, that that's it. That's, that's it. We'll get back that into our it. conversation in just a minute. Get Chris's ruling. I, I made a uh, I did I did a whole trial. I was the defendant and the prosecutor. Here's why the <laughs> offensive line will be better than last year. Here's why they will not. I'm going to get Chris's ruling on that in just a minute. But one of the terrific sponsors here of the Gamecock Central Hour on 107.5 The Game is Firehouse Subs. Oh, man. We were just talking about sandwiches I, every day. I mean, we're going to talk about sandwiches every day anyway, but, like, we just find ourselves talking about them in the course of regular conversation. And so, uh, yeah, Firehouse Subs, Larry Chandler, does an awesome job over there. Twelve locations around the Midlands, another one opening, my understanding, potentially later this month in Casey. So I look forward to getting out there. I, I think, Pearson, it'd be fun to do a show from Firehouse Subs. Absolutely. Uh, get some food from there. Rapid Rescue online ordering service, firehousesubs.com, and uh, also the Firehouse Subs app. They have got they have a lot of really cool promotions going on all the time and, of course, amazing sandwiches. So. Yeah, they just make it really easy for you yeah. to get a sandwich. Like, how, however you yeah. need to get a sandwich, app, drive through walk in, they'll make sure that you can get your delicious sandwich uh, however and whenever you want. So thanks to Firehouse Subs. Um, also, coming up this Saturday, I'll have a thing. <laughs> we have quite a thing going on. It is the Gamecock Central preseason kickoff party at Steelhands Brewing. That's presented by 1801 Venture Club. You might have heard the commercials on 107.5. I've game. heard them. Yeah. Do you like yours or Wes's better? Wes's. I don't like listening to myself talk. No. Um, but they, they did let me cut one for some reason. But yeah, <laughs> you were just asking me about it before we came back on. VIP, yeah, I need the deets because uh, I don't listen. Yeah, come on. VIP tickets are still available. Now, the party itself is free. Okay, so... There'll be an on-stage portion that begins at about 4-ish, 4, 4.30, something like that. We're still working on special guests. Um, 
there are going to be some. There are going to be some surprises, we think. Um, so come on out to Steel Hands Brewing. That's 2350 Foreman Street in Casey. The party is free. Patrick Davis and his Midnight Choir will be playing later that him. night at about 8, 820, something like that. So the concert, the party's free. If you if you don't get VIP tickets, you got to get, of course, your own beverages, your own food. But if you do want VIP tickets, they are dwindling. And that will get you access beginning at about 1 p.m. to the VIP tent. Several Gamecock players are going to be there with a meet and greet. Um, they have a scrimmage that night, but to carry on, Joyner, Marshawn Lloyd, Javon Gwynn coming by. Gigi Jackson Ooh, from the basketball team will be by later the afternoon. So it's going to be an awesome time. That was a rager last year. Yeah. Like, I left, and I was like, oh, that was fun. And then I came in on Monday, and it was like, y'all were just getting back Monday morning. <laughs> well, you know you know, I missed last year. That's right. That? That's right. That's right. Oh, so my gosh. So I am yeah. – I, when – I'm actually – I shouldn't even do the show. I should do the show remotely. I should isolate myself, like, in a box – until Saturday morning, mm-hmm. and then be unleashed. Yeah. So well, I, can, I didn't say that sure. to give you FOMO. I just meant like, oh, I have it. it's going to be fun. Oh, it is. And uh, that's so cool that it's free. Yeah. And the VIP tickets. And, like Preston's going to be there. Preston and, and Langston Moore will there's, be like, there. There's, there's stage stuff. You mentioned the Patrick Davis concert. There's also like, like are, are Preston and Langston doing improv? Preston and Langston, I, think, <laughs> I don't know if they'll do improv. I think they're doing their thing up there. Uh, there will be some former players that come up on the stage and chat. We may even send up some of the current players up there. And they're going to be some surprises. So I recommend VIP tickets. Wes and I will be hanging out there. Players, uh, food, drinks included with, with that. Can I get into that, by the way? Yeah, come on. Okay. You're, you're, you have that status. I mean, I, I haven't gotten an invite. so. Uh, well, as you can imagine, it's a lot. So <laughs> it is don't, like, don't be offended I, I get the by sense, any. This thing is like slowly spiraling out of control like, yeah, that, that, I mean, like, I'm sure y'all have a great handle on it. It was great last year, yeah. but it's like, I, I feel like it's getting, it's getting real. It's, There's it's a lot to do. Big. Like, it I think is. all of Columbia is going to shut down for most of Saturday and then probably most of Sunday to recover. So that's coming up this weekend, this weekend. That's really fun. Uh, we've been talking about the offensive line. I made a case earlier. Here's why the offensive line will be better because they kind of have to be. And because they, it's year two in this system and there's no way that they will have as much trouble understanding the offense this year as they did last year. Uh, the flip side of why they won't get better is the last time they were good was two years ago, and it was a COVID year, and they had Mike Bobo and Adam Prentice, two guys that were like, that was, that was like a match made in heaven for like, how do you make a 1980s offense? And that's what Carolina did well. As you mentioned, they didn't even protect the passer well in 2020. And wasn't Wolf the uh, OL coach in 20? Yep. So you have right. the best offensive line coach in the country. You have the best old school offensive coordinator in the conference, at least. You actually have a fullback. Maybe 2020 was a complete aberration. So there's the case for, there's the case against. Is the offensive line going to be better this year than last year? Yes. And I think um, statistically and the eyeball test, I think, is going to bear that out. Now, sometimes what I've found doing this job since 2009 full-time is that when you say something is going to be better than it was, now, all of a sudden, that means it'll be elite. <laughs> I, I do not think that. A lot of room between where they were last year and elite. Right. So you, you have, that is import, an important distinction because, like, if if you say, well, Chris, will the offense be better? Will they score more points? Well, yes, because, number one, I mean, that that is, in, realistically, a low bar, you know, from last season when they, I think they averaged, what, 22 points a game. And that, 
varied from scoring 40-something with, you know, a defensive score was included in there against Eastern Illinois to zero against Clemson and, and some other games where you just weren't very good on offense and kind of everything in between. You know, you score enough points to beat Auburn, for instance. Uh, you know, Phil Steele has in his projections Carolina going up to like 31 points a game. If that happens, you're probably pretty happy. <laughs> no, no. But you're probably pretty happy. But that is a realistic goal based on what they've added. And then just even if you're just projecting, well, it just stands to reason that they'll be a little bit better. So I think when you when you look back statistically at certain measure, you know, metrics, whether it's, uh, I don't know, rush yards per game sacks over the course of the season, points per game, I think it'll bear it out. And I think the offensive line, just in look, when you're just watching the games, I think will look better. Does that mean they're going to be top five in the conference or you're going to just be blown away by the the play of the O-line all year? I don't think so. There's still going to be some problems, and they're going to play a lot of good teams. You know? but I think what Carolina fans are most looking for is it's third and two on the 50-yard line. How do you feel about your chances to pick up some short yardage? Yeah, I think absolutely. that's kind of the measure to come back to your eyeball test, which I love. Like years ago, it was the eye test, and now it's the eyeball test. So <laughs> it's going to be like the retina and cornea test. People getting more and more. That is a good point. Detailed. Yeah. I don't know why. I like eyeball tests though. That well, I mean that that's that's going to be a lot of the measure. Like the stats are going to be what the stats are, and there's ways to explain the stats. It's defense. It's home and away. It's you know quarterback play, and you know running backs and pass protection. It's all of those kinds of things, but ultimately, watching Carolina games, do you feel like Carolina's going to get it in short yardage situations because it didn't feel like that last year? Well, and, and I think another thing, not even just third and two, like that is a measure that everybody goes to, and it's a good one. You're going to get in third and two. Can you move the chains? The answer last season, a lot of times, was you know, no, but the one of the biggest problems last year, Pearson, was that weren't getting in third and manageable. Yeah. You know, if you start a drive first and 15, first and 17, because you've taken a sack on first down, and then your offense isn't that explosive to begin with, you got big problems there. Yeah. First and second down were terrible for Carolina last year. I, I even did like a whole deep dive at one point during the season, and it was it was overwhelming, and that's got to be a lot better. Um, one more thought on this. I want to let you hear from uh, Juju McDowell, his perspective on pass blocking from the undersized back, the guy that people don't necessarily think about as a big-time blocker, seems to take a lot of pride in that. And uh, also coming up, the most spectacular, unimaginable, crazy, amazing thing that you have ever heard in your whole life is coming up next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 11.53 Wednesday morning. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark here with you. Wes and Preston back tomorrow to talk about our next position group, to talk about Welcome Home. We'll have a lot to do on the show tomorrow. And as we wrap things up here, talking about the offensive line, um, offensive line adjacent, I guess, because we did hear a little bit from Eric Douglas in the 9 o'clock hour. He talked specifically about how Juju McDowell has made himself into an asset as a pass blocker, which you don't really think about for the undersized guy. But just wanted to let you hear just a couple seconds here from Juju on his own perspective on pass blocking. It's kind of hard to explain. You know, a lot of people are actually contrary 
on that statement because I'm a smaller guy, but um, yeah, I like to get dirty. I like to get up in there and help those big guys out. As long as I can help Spencer get that ball off, man, and get a play downfield, I feel great. Sometimes better than a 20-yard run. Said no running back ever except for Juju McDowell, uh, and you can understand why his teammates love him, why his coaches love him, a guy that's willing to do anything to take on any role. You can understand especially why Eric Douglas has been heaping the praise on him. And and I guess just to wrap things up here, we've been talking about the offensive line. You made the point that there are a lot of other pieces that are involved. It feels like the pieces that are going to need to improve, running backs and pass protection, quarterback, play, escapability, it feels like all those things are going to help. So when you're talking about better, you're right. Like they're not going to be a top five group themselves, but I feel like it could really snowball into an offense that looks completely different than last year because of all those extra factors as well. Yeah, and 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 I would go as far as to say if like let's let's say a team gets sacked five times in a game, if four of them were on a tight end or a back missing a block, and that alone. I think after the game, the narrative would be the O-line sucked. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it just, so, and and none of that is me saying the performance was good enough last year. It was not. It's just with a complex game like football, you have to look at it that way. And so all those things are reasons why I think we'll, we'll look back after 2022, regardless of the results, and say, yes, the O-line did take a step forward. I think some of that's going to be of their own doing, and some of it's going to be based on what, you know, is happening around them. Austin Stogner, I think, provides another element at tight end. You have Jaheim Bell, yes, but he's not really a tight end. And even Nick Muse is more of a pass-catching tight end. Stogner is going to provide you with more of that inline guy. We, we'll talk about the tight end separately, but as an extension of the offensive line, that's a that's an upgrade from what they've had over the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, Muse and Trey Kenyon last year, particularly in the run game, I think helped South Carolina a good bit. Muse is a bigger guy, but you know, Stogner, Trey Kenyon, uh, Bell, depending on where he's aligned, those guys are going to have to be, I think, solid in pass protection as well um, as, as a critical you know, part of this whole thing. And certainly I talked to Monterio Hardesty at the preseason media day, and he was talking about pass protection for backs as well. He felt Marshawn had made strides even in the middle of last season. Juju was somebody who talked about that, you know, with his size, just but needing to get in there. And Christian Beal Smith, it appears they're, they're pretty high on him as a pass protector. A lot to be excited about in terms of where South Carolina might be able to improve in pass protection and some of those some of those key, you know, just I mean margins, things that don't necessarily steal headlines but they make a huge difference in wins and losses. So, that's our uh, offensive line, I guess, breakdown in the books tomorrow. We're doing quarterbacks tomorrow. Does that sound good? Sounds great to me. Cool. I guess we'll do that. We have uh, at least two guys to talk about. We'll talk about the death chart, the future of their position as well. Um, but a lot to get to on the show tomorrow. Appreciate you all being a part of the discussion today as we've uh, dug into the offensive lineman. That is all we have time for, though. Halftime show with Jay, Terry, and Tommy is coming up next. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.